Well, good morning, everyone. So for those of you that are here, thank you for joining. Uh, for those of you that are online, we would love to encourage you to go ahead, click on that chat feature, engage, let everybody know that you're there. And if you have a prayer request that you want someone to pray with you, we do have prayer hosts online that certainly can do that. So for those of you who are in person, I would invite you to stand with us if you'd like and join us in worship. Who 
Good morning. It is so good to see everyone today. A month ago when I left for Uganda to open up a school and all the craziness that went along with that, God gave me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And several days into my trip, everything was kind of going crazy. We're trying to hire teachers and get the classrooms ready and the kitchen ready. And God reminded me of that again. Trust in me. Don't lean on your own understanding. And for some of you, you may be wondering, and like, I'm not understanding what you're doing in my life. But we need to trust God. He knows what he's doing. And he will lead you to where he needs you to be. So let's sing together again.
soon dissolve like snow the sun forbear to shine but God who called me here below will be forever mine will be forever mine you are forever mine Father we thank you Lord Jesus that we can come and we can worship you in this place Father that we can declare that your mercy has flooded over us. You have overcome us with your mercy and your grace. And God, we're so grateful. We're grateful, Father, that we can come and Lord, a thousand hallelujahs are not enough to declare your goodness. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Father, we pray that uh, this morning that as we hear your testimony, as we hear your word, Father, that our heart would kneel before you, that our ears would be attentive, and that we would forever be changed by your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, good morning, Springbrook. 
My name is Andy Suarez. I am one of your elders here at Springbrook, and I am excited. Ooh, I'm excited to hear that feedback. I'm excited to see you guys all here today. Um, man, I just I feel so blessed when I'm here with you guys. There's just uh, God's with me even when I'm by myself. But uh, when I'm just in a community of believers, we're singing to God, we're praying together, uh, we're going through scripture together. There's just something really cool about that. So thank you, because you guys bless me um, every week when I come here. Uh, If you're worshiping with us today here, um, you'll notice on your row that there's a welcome slip. If you want to fill that out, let us know if any information has changed. Um, If you're a first-time person, whether you're online or whether you're here in person, if you want to uh, scan that QR code that's on the screen, um, you can let us know that you're here. Um, If you are worshiping with us online, uh, there is a link in the top of uh, the screen that you can click and fill out a connections card there. Um, We have a uh, starting point class that's coming up um, this Wednesday. Uh, So if you've already registered for starting point, Laura's probably looking to track you down out there at the Welcome Center. Uh, Please see her. If that's something that you're interested in, if you've you've been coming to Springbrook for a little bit and you want to learn more, you want to learn maybe where you you fit in here, where you can help out, uh, we'd love to talk with you about that. And we have a class called Starting Point that's starting up on Wednesday that'll go through that. Um, Laura would love to talk to you also. Hurry up because it's like I said, starting on Wednesday. Um, something I want to mention, if you're looking for what's going on, you may not know there was a women's event yesterday. Uh, there's a Aspire event coming up. There's men's groups that are meeting on a regular basis. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that are going on. Uh, go to springbrook.org info, and you can find out all that information. You'll find out how to stay in touch with us. That'll give us a way to be able to stay in touch with you also. Uh, so if you're kind of like, hey, what's going on around here? That might be a good place that you should check out. Um, uh, one of the things that you'll find at springbrook.org slash info is the Bless Every Home initiative. I know Rich has been talking about this on a regular basis. We have 41 families right now that are praying for their neighbors in their neighborhoods. Uh, and that's kind of a free resource that's available to you. To You'll find out more information at the slash info. Uh, but if you, you're interested in that, check it out. But we just have a, a bunch of families praying for their neighbors. I think it's like three or 400 pe- different neighbors that are being prayed for. And that's just really powerful. Uh, and we have, a, we have a story coming up that's going to talk about that. Hello, I'm Pastor Joe Hawley here at Springbrook Community Church. I've been attending for five and a half years now. I actually wear two hats. On the one hand, I'm the pastor of pastoral care. And on the other hand, I'm also the facilities director. I'm grateful to God for both. See, if you were to ask me about what excites me, what excites me is people that are excited for Jesus, watching the Lord change people's lives and such. I'm excited for the leadership gathering, the breakout meetings. This week, I was on the phone with a lot of the leaders. We were talking about what we were going to be doing and what they were going to be doing. I'm just really grateful for our team leaders and their hearts for the Lord. And then I'm also excited. That was such a high point of my week. And then the Lord led a man into my life. I've been asking the Lord, bring me people that need to know you. And a man gave me a call. I wound up sharing Christ with him in person. And when I've taken a lot of classes on winning people to Christ, I've read a lot of books. It's not about that. Somebody once said in its purest form, it's a beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. We talked about Jesus. I talked to him about sin and how the Lord loves him. He gave his heart to Christ. The Lord came upon him powerfully. It was such a blessing to watch and to be a part of and to think, when I don't do that, I'm missing out on that. I'm missing out on one of the greatest blessings God has given me. If you were to ask me what I'm looking for for this upcoming year, I'm looking for more of what the Lord's already been doing. 
I'm looking for our numbers to grow numerically, but also spiritually. I'm excited when I see the Spirit of God working in the hearts of people. My conviction is that the best is yet to come. What God has done in the past was good, but I'm looking more for that. I'm looking for people to grow in their love for the Lord. I'm looking for people to get excited about sharing with other people that are lost what Jesus has done for them. You've got a unique story and what the Lord has done in your life. And it's a blessing when you can share that with other people. There are certain moments that we consider to be defining moments in life. Those defining moments are, are, are moments in time or events or circumstances that once they take place, they change everything that comes after. And that can be true at the family level, at the community level, even in a sense uh, of a national identity. If I were to say to you something like, 1776. Or if I were to say to you, December 7th, 1941, or September 11th, 2001, we would all understand what it is that I'm referring to. Uh, moments throughout the course of history in this nation that have had ongoing implications. It's also true at the, at, at the more local or family level because there are times in our lives where we experience defining moments. Uh, maybe it's the birth of a child. Uh, maybe it is a marriage or a graduation. Maybe it's a death. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis. And it becomes a defining moment that not only is significant in that moment of time, but the impact of it is far-reaching. Last week, in our time together, as we've been studying in recent weeks through the book of Exodus, we began to look at a series of plagues that God sent upon the land of Egypt. And it's true that as we study this series in Exodus, this idea of the Exodus and what we're going to look at today related to the tenth of those plagues and the Passover in which God bought the nation of Israel out of slavery, out of captivity in Egypt, was a defining moment for the people of Israel. Something that they looked back on, something that, that defined who they were as a people. But just like in defining moments that we may experience in our world today, Sometimes what is a defining moment for some seems to be of little significance or import for others. So, while I mentioned a few dates earlier on which were significant in the, in, in the mindset and the identity of those who live here, if I were to mention to you, for example, the Rwandan genocide of 1994, where some half a million people lost their lives. Some of us might think, and, oh yeah, I kind of faintly remember that as a story in the news cycle that was here for a while and gone. It was a defining moment in the life of the people of that nation. 
And yet to us it seems of less importance, as if it's not really significant. One of the great challenges that we have whenever we come to the Word of God is that we read these different things, we read through the Scriptures, and sometimes we can be tempted to think, well, that must have been a defining moment for them. It must have been important for them, but what about for us? And the temptation when we come to our passage this morning, as glorious, as as wonderful, as powerful as God's demonstration of of power is through the exodus, through the events of that first Passover, we're tempted to wonder, well, what's really the significance of it? Yes, it was a defining moment for Israel some three and a half thousand years ago, but beyond an interesting Bible study, what difference does it make to my life? Well, as you grab your Bible and join me once again this morning, beginning in Exodus chapter 11, Exodus chapter 11, we're going to travel together through uh, the account of that first Passover, the the sending of the 10th plague, and what we're going to discover together is that the Lord delivered His people from slavery in Egypt, and in doing so, He points us to a still greater deliverance through Jesus Christ, that the events of that first Passover are still defining who we are today if we're followers of Jesus Christ. So join me there, Exodus chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people so that they will ask each man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of all Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor never will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of my people Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all of the people who followed you. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Uh, This portion in chapter 11 really kind of concludes the section on the plagues with the announcement of the 10th one. But uh, what we see is that the Lord announced his judgment on Egypt and a certain deliverance for his people, Israel. Despite the nine plagues that were sent against Egypt, as we saw last week, God has uh, demonstrated through those that he is the one true God. 
And yet Pharaoh has continued to harden his heart and refuse to let Israel go. But here in this passage, we see that the Lord then announces this final devastating judgment, this final devastating plague, which is the plague on the firstborn. And this was significant because even before any of the plagues were sent, as as God was sending Moses to Pharaoh back in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, he said, then you shall go and you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And now again, when we're thinking of this, and we're thinking of this idea of God putting people to death, it's very uncomfortable to us. Yet the scriptures do tell us that God does not take delight even in the death of the wicked. But what we see, in a sense, is this measure-for-measure judgment that he is bringing, this warning that he is giving. Uh, Throughout Scripture, the idea of the firstborn is very significant. The firstborn represented the, the power as well as the continuity of a family line. The firstborn represented the the wealth and the prosperity of the nation. And all through the Scripture, we see that God maintains that He is the one who owns all things. But that is in uh, in particular seen through this idea of the firstborn. Because when we recognize that God is the source of every good and perfect gift, that all that we have belongs to Him, that we are only stewards of it, then whether it be of, uh, of descendants, the firstborn, whether it be the first fruits of the crops, whether it be the first fruits of our income, that when we respond in obedience to God, giving back to Him, in a sense, submitting that first to Him again, we are acknowledging to Him, it all belongs to you, God. It, it, it all belongs to you. Everything I have comes from you. And I will use all that you entrust to me for your glory. And besides that, by giving of the first, I also recognize that I am trusting you for everything else that I need. God sets aside and he claims Israel to be his firstborn. That is, the representative of greater, of more to come. But he warns Pharaoh And now, when we come to our passage in chapter 11 and following, we see that the final plague is sent against Egypt, and it is the death of the firstborn from the lowest maid to even the child of Pharaoh. And it is to demonstrate the fact that everything belongs to the Lord, that he has the right to judge those who oppose him, and he has the right to to redeem those whom he will, as we see here in this passage. What's interesting is that he announces this final judgment, this final plague. It cuts at the very heart of the strength of Pharaoh and of Egypt. Uh, And and God explains that several things are going to occur. First of all, uh, while Pharaoh has refused to let the people go, now God declares, when I send this plague, you will not just let them go, you will drive them out. You will plead, get out of the land, that God's purpose might be accomplished. 
Secondly, he explains that he's going to give the people of Israel favor in the eyes of the Egyptians, so much so that the Egyptians are literally going to start throwing gold and silver jewelry and items of clothing at them and say, here, take this and go. Some have suggested that it is a sense in which there was a recompense being given for the, for the years of slavery that they've been in there. But I think that the greater thing is the fact that God even now is preparing for his people that they might have the things that they need in order to build the tabernacle that he will instruct them to build. But he gives them favor with the people. He also declares here that he will make, once again, a distinction. Through the nine plagues that we looked at last week, we saw how the plagues were directed at Egypt, but how God protected the Israelites. And again, he says, while this plague, the death of the firstborn, will affect every single Egyptian home and field and stable, not even a dog will growl amongst the people of Israel. They will be preserved and protected that you might see that I make this distinction And then in chapter 12, verse 12, as we saw briefly last week, God also declares that he will send this judgment against the gods of Egypt. We saw examples of that uh, throughout the nine plagues last week. And finally, Pharaoh, who was considered to be one of the sons of the God, divine himself, will be shown to be utterly incapable to do anything to protect his people before Almighty God. But after this announcement is made of the 10th plague, we see that the Lord delivers his people through a sacrifice of blood, which points to a still greater deliverance that is to come. And so after the announcement of this plague, God now speaks to to his people Israel through Moses and Aaron. We see this in chapter 12, where he begins with these words. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to the father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, shall you make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and they shall put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that does remain until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague 
will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so uh, the Lord, having announced this final plague, now speaks about the way in which he is going to deliver his people. And he, he gives to them this sacrifice of blood through which he will bring about this deliverance. And and what he does, first of all, is he says, I'm giving you a defining moment. This day, this month, this is going to be the first month for you. You have a new calendar as of today. This is going to be New Year's Day for you and for the generations to come. So significant is this in what I'm about to do that you are going to measure times and dates by this event. He gives them this defining moment. In giving them this defining moment, he is going to, as we'll see in a moment, gives them something that not only is for this moment, but is to be remembered continually into the future. Now, we have different holidays, different days that we set aside for different things in our calendar that we're accustomed to. Uh, but uh, probably the most similar thing that I can think of that this sort of represents is the fact that today, the year that we're in, 2024, we call it that. Why? Because we, we date back to this period that divides history. There was the time which was B.C., before Christ, and now there's the time which is A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. That Christ is the defining moment of all of history. And for the Israelites back then at this time, God was in a sense saying, this event, what I am about to do, this is the defining moment. Everything else was before. This is the fresh start. This is the new beginning. This is the new work that I am doing that you will look back on and you will remember. And God not only gives them this defining moment, but he gives them a sacrificial lamb as a means and a sign by which he is going to bring deliverance to them, his people. And we see the details of this. We see that they are to choose for themselves a lamb. We've got specific details. It's to be a, a male lamb, a year old, without spot or blemish, so without any imperfections. You're to choose the lamb based on the size of your family or of your household. Um, and the number of people who will be eating this, this meal that I'm setting aside for you to eat. If your family, if your household is not big enough, then go to your nearest neighbor, and you're going to share the meal together uh, for that purpose. Uh, the lamb that you take, you are to keep, and, and then on the 14th day of the month, you are going to slaughter it. Everybody all across the people of Israel is going to slaughter the lamb that they have taken, all at sunset, all at twilight, the same time. Uh, And you're going to take the blood and you're going to gather the blood in a basin. And then you're going to cook the the lamb. But here's how I want you to cook it. You are not to eat it raw because the pagans had these these, uh, rituals and festivals where they took raw flesh, raw meat, and ate it as a part of that. You're not to be like them. You're not to boil it because in order to boil it, you'd have to cut down and separate the parts of the lamb to put it in the pot. You're not to do that. You're to leave it intact without any of its bones broken, all together, and you're to put it on a spit. They would have had to do that in order to roast it over a fire. And then they're to eat it. 
and they're to eat it in a particular way. But before they eat it, they were to go back to that basin of blood that they had, and they would take hyssop, we're told later on in the chapter. Uh, this was a, a plant, a bush that has these white flowers to it and almost like hair-like um, uh, uh, follicles on it. Uh, and they dip it into the blood and they were to mark the door of their home in which they were eating this. First, the two posts and then the lintel across the top with the blood of the lamb. And then inside of the house, they were to eat the meal. And they were to eat it in the way in which my teenage son eats. With haste. They were to eat it fast. In fact, they were to eat it with their sandals already on their feet. With their staff in their hand. Because they were to to be ready to go at the drop of a hat. They were ready to, to, to go immediately. And even the way in which they were to eat it was to reflect how God was about to bring this deliverance to them. And we see the purpose in this. Because about midnight, I'm going to bring this plague that has been announced. I'm going to strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. But when I see the blood on the houses where you are, when I see the blood, I will pass over. You get the idea of why it's called the Passover, right? Because when the destroyer comes, I will pass over over you. And what's significant here is the fact that as this passage continues a little bit further, if you look down with me, chapter, still in chapter 12, but let's look down at verse 21 and 22. We kind of see a repetition of the things we've already seen here. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, go select these lambs for yourselves. According to your clans, kill the Passover lamb, take the bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, touch it to the lintel and to the doorposts. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter the houses to strike you. Do you notice that? What is it that he's showing us there? It is not because the Israelites are Israelites. It is not because of their ethnic background that they are being shielded, that they are being covered, that they are being protected from this plague. Because you see, if they step out of the house, if they are found outside, if they are in a place that is not covered by the blood of a lamb, then they too will die. It is not that God is just saying, oh, you're an Israelite and I'm protecting you. No, God is providing for his people a covering, a protection, a means by which his judgment will pass over and not affect them, even though they are equally deserving of it. God gives them lamb. And he declares this day and this meal to be his Passover. 
But what's more, God gives Israel this Passover not simply as a one-time event, but he tells us he gives it to them as an enduring memorial. It was to be an act of worship and an act of remembrance. Again, still in chapter 12, if we look back a few verses, beginning in verse 14, it says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And then he goes on to explain how it is to be kept. And so uh, what they're to do is that on the 10th day of the month, they are to, to, to take this lamb. And then they're on the 14th day, they're to slaughter this lamb. And, and that's going to mark the beginning of Passover. And it's also the beginning of what they call the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This unleavened bread that they were to eat uh, along with the lamb, along with the bitter herbs, uh, is reflective of something significant. And they were to eat only unleavened bread, that is bread without yeast, bread without a rising agent, for a, a seven-day period of time. From the first day of the festival, from the Passover itself, for seven days. And the first day and the last day of that period of time were a holy convocation to the Lord. They were, it, it was a special, set-apart, holy day on which no other work was to be done. And he says, I'm giving this to you so that you would do it every year, always, as an act of worship and as an act of remembrance. As an act of worship, remembering who I am, and as an act of remembrance, remembering what I've done. We might wonder, well, so we've got this whole lamb thing that he's given, this blood that's given. What is the big deal about this unleavened bread? Well, there's a couple of different aspects. You see, God is going to bring them out in a moment with such haste, with such immediacy that the, that the bread that they had didn't have time to rise. They didn't have time to do the whole kneading piece of it. If you've ever made bread, you know that takes a little bit of time. Now, we have quick yeast today. They didn't have that then. They would take a little bit of what they called leaven, and they would keep it aside. And then they would rip off just a little bit of it. And they would put it in. It would take time to go through the whole lump of, of, of dough so that it could rise. But, but God is saying, first of all, I'm going to bring you out with such haste. So you eating this unleavened bread for seven days and years to come, this feast of unleavened bread reminds you of the immediacy with which I affected, affected my deliverance. But more than that, it was also to demonstrate, as this passage continues uh, on to show us, it was to, to, to show in me bringing you out of slavery and captivity in the land of Egypt. I am bringing you out. I am delivering you from this to be a set apart and a distinct people, unlike any of the other nations. You are mine. You are holy to me. And in the same way as, as yeast or leaven infects the whole dough, the whole batch of dough in which it is placed. So there is a sense in which unless you are careful, you will quickly be infected or affected by all of the surrounding nations. That should not be so. Celebrate each year as a remembrance of what I am about to do, but as a reminder of the fact in me calling you out of Egypt, I am setting you apart as my holy people to live holy, unleavened lives that are not infected 
by the ideas and the priorities, the agendas, and the idolatry of the surrounding nations, but are wholly set apart and dedicated to me. So God is doing this great work here, and as he does it, this Passover event is rich with such meaning. Not only was it a a moment in time, an enduring memorial for the Israelites, but God, in passing over and delivering Israel through the sacrificial blood of a lamb, of taking and purifying his people for his own glory, points us still today to something greater. This Passover, while it was a, a singular event in which God brought judgment and deliverance, they were to commemorate it and observe it every year so that they would, first of all, not forget what God had done. So that they would remember their identity as God's people is wrapped up in His gracious deliverance of them. So that from generation to generation, they would understand that it is only through the blood of a lamb in which they were delivered from slavery and rescued from death and ultimately to point us forward to a greater deliverance. A deliverance that John the Baptist recognized when he saw Jesus walking toward him one day, that the the gospel of John in the New Testament records for us. John the Baptist looks up and he sees Jesus and he declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A little bit earlier as we were singing those songs of praise and worship, we were singing about the lion and the lamb, that that Jesus is the lamb of God. He is the perfect, spotless, that is without sin, lamb that this lamb of Passover pointed to, that the lamb of the sacrificial system pointed to, one who would come who would not only provide a rescue from Egypt, one who would come that would not only cover over the sins of the people temporarily until they had to sacrifice the next one and the next one and the next one because they continued to wrestle against sin, but one who once for all would lay his life down, a singular, perfect, substitutionary sacrifice, the Lamb of God taking the place of the people who were deserving of death and providing a covering, a deliverance, a rescue. The perfect and sinless substitute who was nailed to the cross at the Passover, under whose blood all who come to him by faith are delivered from their sin and rescued from the righteous judgment that we all deserve. But still, God has more to say in our passage, because as it goes on, we see the Lord fulfills His promised deliverance and shows us that it is available to all who will join themselves to Him by faith, because in the following passage, beginning in chapter 12, verse 29, we then have the details of how God now brings this judgment, how, in in fact, all of the firstborn of Egypt do die. We can only begin to imagine the outcry of pain heard across the land. When God, the righteous judge, 
exercises his divine right to bring judgment on an ungodly people who refuse to turn to him. And Pharaoh and his servants summon Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel, and just as the Lord said, they say, get out, get out, go, go, take everything you have and leave. And all the people of Egypt throw their gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and say, go, go, get out. God brings about this great rescue. In verse 37 of chapter 12, we're told, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children, and a mixed multitude also went up with them, along with very much livestock, both flocks and herds. If we were to take time to go back to Exodus chapter 1, verse 5, we would discover that when um, Joseph and then uh, um, his, his father and their families came down, uh, when they first arrived in Egypt, there were 70 of them in all. Now God brings them up out of the land in fulfillment of the promise that he made to Abraham that his descendants would be more than the, 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 the sand on the shore and the stars in the sky. 600,000 men besides women and children, besides we think somewhere in the region of about 2 million people coming up through the Exodus. And that's just of those amongst the Israelites, along with them, uh, uh, um, uh, those who had been enslaved, perhaps from other nations, and perhaps some who were uh, themselves Egyptians, but had joined themselves together with the people of Egypt as they had seen the power of the Lord displayed through the plagues and recognized that He is the one true God. The time, verse 40 of chapter 12 tells us, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all of the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. God had even promised Abraham generations before, telling him of these things telling them that his descendants would be sojourners in a land in which they are harshly treated, but that he would bring them out. And he even mentions the time there. He says 400 years to Abraham. We don't know for sure if that was just a round figure or if he's taking into account the fact that they were there for, for probably around about 30 years before the hardships began. We simply don't know. But God does what God said he would do. And then we seem to have this repetition that takes place from verse 43 and following. And it again goes back to the Passover, and it it talks about those who can eat the Passover. And he says, no foreigner, no slave who is with you, uh, none of them can participate in this. None of them, even if they come and live amongst you, they cannot participate in the Passover unless, unless they join themselves together with you by faith. And that was demonstrated then through being circumcised. But one of the things that we see with this is is a wonderful gospel picture here of the fact that even those who are not a part of the people of God have access to become a part of the people of God. They can come under the covering of the blood if they come by faith. It is not whether or not you are a, an Israelite by heritage. It is not about whether or not you grew up in the church or had believing parents. It is not about what ethnicity you are from, what educational background you have. It is not about any of those things. It's not about who you vote for in elections. It is about faith 
in God and the deliverance that he has made available through the blood of a spotless lamb. And still today, whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever your background, none are excluded if they will come through Christ, the perfect lamb. But that means a laying down of our former ways. It means a turning from those things and a turning in obedience to God and saying, here I am. No longer my way, but yours. Your will be done. Still a little bit more in this same episode. Traveling through a lot of material, I know. But we sometimes wonder as we read through, why so much repetition? And it's because God is teaching his people then and us today what he wants us to understand. And sometimes he does that by taking and then repeating and adding more each time he brings it up. And so as we move into chapter 13, what we begin to see is that now, having been delivered, we as the people of God are to remember that we have been set apart and that we have been redeemed. And in chapter 13, verses 1 through 16, we don't have the time to go through all of the details of it right now. He goes back again to the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He says, make sure you do this. Seven days you shall eat it. Make sure you do this. No leaven shall be in your house. Make sure you do this year after year after year after year that you remember. He says, and remember the lamb. Remember to take the lamb. And when your children come to you and say, Dad, why are we doing this? Dad, why do we get to have like unleavened bread, which doesn't taste as good as the other stuff? God, why do we take a lamb and why do we slaughter it on this day at this time? Why do we do that? You are to say it is because the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord not only bought deliverance, this chapter goes on to talk about the fact that we do this, son, because all the firstborn belong to God. And you shall take the lamb to redeem the firstborn of your sons. That is, the lamb that I am giving you is not merely a sign. It is not merely a symbol. It is not merely this thing so you can have a nice meal on this particular day. It is a payment that is being made. Because when I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, I didn't bring you up because the Egyptians were wicked and you were wonderful. No, I brought you up because the Egyptians were wicked. They had turned from me and sinned. And you, Israelites, were wicked and had turned from me and sinned. And the only way in which people who are unholy, the only way that people uh, who are separated, the only way in which people who have sinned against me, a holy God can be reconciled is by a debt being satisfied, a payment being made. And, And God explains to Israel all those years ago, I am giving you this lamb as a payment. The blood of the lamb purchasing the freedom of your sons and all your people. And in all of this, even so many generations before, some 1,500 years before Jesus 
was at Passover to hang and die on a cross. God is preparing the hearts of his people back then, saying, remember this from year to year and generation to generation, that you might know that while the sins are being passed over now, we need a greater sacrifice. And so that they might recognize him when he came. And for us, as we stand today, this side of the cross, we stand in a different place. We stand able now to look back on what Christ has done, that he is that perfect lamb. Why don't we, as followers of Jesus today, celebrate the Passover festival? Why don't we sacrifice lambs out in the streets and mark our door frames apart from local ordinances? We don't do it because the lamb's already been slain. Once for all, there is no need of another sacrifice for the perfect one has come. And instead of that Passover, now what Jesus gave us is a meal that looks very similar to what was given to the Israelites back then. Today we call it communion or the Lord's Supper. It is a meal that he gives that we celebrate so that we can look back and remember so that we can give thanks to God as we think of the deliverance and the redemption that he has purchased and that we look forward to a meal that is yet to come that the book of Revelation calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, a great celebration we will enjoy with him in glory. It's really interesting when we come to the table of communion, we do it here at Springbrook on the first Sunday of each month, that when we come, we have the bread, the unleavened bread, And we have the cup representing the blood. But there's no lamb. There's no lamb. Because the lamb was slain perfectly and once for all. And so the bread representing the body of Jesus, the cup representing his blood, reminds us of the redemption that is now ours. We are to use that with our children to remind them and to teach them, to tell them about this redemption that is ours in Christ, to, to tell them about the sacrifice, to tell them that just as the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, so we are slaves to sin and death, and there is judgment awaiting us deservedly. God has given a lamb who has taken our place, who has died our death, who has paid our debt, who has dealt with our sins, that we might be reconciled, set free, forgiven, and given life. So how do we respond in the midst of all of this? Well, first of all, just like the people of Israel then, so we today are to understand that in the Passover, We see this image that points us to Christ, that the blood is not simply a symbol of deliverance or protection. It is this payment that has been made because we, like the Israelites, are deserving of eternal separation from God, of judgment, of death, and of hell. So, friends, if you have never yet come to that place of recognizing that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection to life was for you and for you. And I will plead with you today, 
understand this difficult, uncomfortable, but eternally important truth. Apart from Jesus, you are under the judgment of God, and there is coming a day where you will be separated forever and ever from God. But thanks be to God, He has provided for you a perfect substitute, a payment. And so all you must do is respond to Him and say, God, I believe. I I acknowledge that I have sinned against you. And I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live for you. I want to become a part of the people of God. I surrender all to you. And as best as I know how, I will follow you with my whole life. For you have purchased me and I belong to you. We are to teach this to others. And for those of us who have come to this place, who have experienced the true Passover, who know what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this passage reminds us of what the Apostle Paul instructed based on this passage that we've looked at, that we must now live. If you have been delivered, if you have been redeemed, then remember it and live holy and set apart lives for the glory of God. We are called to be an unleavened people, not stained by the world around us, but living lives with such distinction as we follow after Christ that others would see and recognize and turn to Christ the Savior. To the Corinthians, Paul writes, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And so the instruction comes, brothers and sisters, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and of evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Some of you this week went to the bakery to get punchkis because we entered into the season beginning with Shrove Tuesday or Mardi Gras or Fat Tuesday, whatever you want to call it, as we enter into a season of Lent, a time of preparation for Easter. It's not something in the evangelical church that we put a lot of emphasis on, But the idea behind it was to clean out the yeast, to get rid of the leaven from the house as a reflection of the fact, again, that we are a set-apart people. And so as we close our time together this morning, keep looking, keep celebrating, keep worshiping the God who has provided for us a redeemer, a deliverer, a savior, a spotless lamb, who has not only covered but taken our sins. And if you know him, follow him in holiness in this season and every other. Cleanse that sin. Take it back to him and say, God, I'm struggling with this. Take it from me and make me new. Cleanse me, set me free from this and pursue holiness to the glory of God until he comes again. Why? Because we have a glorious God who invites us to himself, who says, look to me, come to me, and receive salvation. 
We invite you to take next steps if you want to learn more about how to do any of these things that we've talked about and grow in your faith with Christ. We would love to hear from you. But know that the Lord has delivered and redeemed his people through Christ our Passover lamb so that if you know him, you can live out your new calling in him as holy and set-apart people. Keep this great salvation always before your eyes. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you have given us a covering, that you have sheltered us from your judgment by giving of your Son, the Lamb who was slain to take away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we look back on the Passover, that defining moment for your people Israel so long ago, Lord, help us to see the beauty of the cross even through that great event. Lord, as we look back on the cross, remind us of how desperately we needed a Savior and how merciful you are in giving us one to cleanse us of our sins and reconcile us to yourself. And teach us now, Lord, to live those unleavened lives, lives that are set apart for you. For we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We belong now to Christ. And finally, once again, oh Lord, I recognize that some watching online or even here may never have come to that moment of Passover in their own lives. They may never have recognized that Christ and what he has done is for them. Lord, I pray that they would this day turn from death to life, from judgment to salvation, surrendering all to Jesus, the only Savior. For it is in his name we pray. Let's stand once more as we close in song.
Thank you for joining us today. I would like to encourage everyone to come back again next week as we continue this study in Exodus. But as we go out this week, I would challenge us, as Tim talked about today in the Exodus story, how it really framed up the resurrection, to reflect on that, find opportunities to speak truth into the world as we come into the Easter season. Because we know it's there. We went to the store yesterday. Easter's coming. So be ready to speak for our Lord and our Savior as we go this week. You're dismissed.